I'm Alan. Uh, I'm Brent. And if you remember us, we're part of the AV Testing Podcast. It's been a long time, right, Brent? Gosh, how long has it been? Well, we last time I saw Three you, months? last time I saw you was the beginning of July. We recorded uh, episode number nine, which means big double digits. Double, Woohoo! Double di- Well, we were in double digits if you used octal. Never mind. Yeah, um, true. Okay, using a ten-based accounting uh, system, we're, we're in episode number ten, and man, I leave for one little summer, and Microsoft goes haywire, crazy, doing all kinds of wild stuff. Yeah, there, there is a saying around here, at least there used to be, that, that uh, we work in uh, dog years. Maybe, maybe. I used to say that uh, Xbox, my two years on Xbox was the best five years of my life, but I think um, more time may have passed by since that shipped. Uh, yeah, no, the last two months, I think um, I think we lost, uh, or we progressed a couple of years. Yep. And speaking of the last two months, for those of you that... Uh, don't recall or don't even know who I am. I took the summer off. I uh, my last day at work was around July 9th, and I didn't come back to work until after, just after Labor Day, week after Labor Day, somewhere in there. I spent most of the time in France. Shouldn't you do that with like a rich hoity-toity person? I, I should, but you know what? Beaches of Provence. I was in the south of France, very laid back, drank a whole lot of rosé, spent most of our time in Aix-en-Provence, did some traveling around. Uh, the southern coast of France. Because um, we were so close, we were in Nice. We took a little day trip along the coast, went to the uh, Museum Oceanographique in Monaco, where Jacques Cousteau used to work. A fantastic cool. uh, uh, aquarium, a uh, nice museum. Uh, and then, because we were so close, we drove across the border, had a nice, huge pasta dinner in Italy. Where? North? Uh, South Italy? No, no, no I we, guess we, it would be we, North we, Italy. Somewhere. Yeah, we do. <laughs> Excuse us while we have a geography lesson. Right. Uh, I don't think there's a bridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we took a spaceship. <laughs> anyway, it was a great summer. Uh, people joke about the way I put this, but we stopped on the way home in Japan for a week and visited some friends. Um, so I made it all the way around the world this summer. Took the kids to the Pokemon store in Osaka. Oh, I bet you they had a blast. Oh, with that. they had a good time. Some uh, Our friends gave them some money to spend there, and they spent three hours trying to figure out what they were going to get. My daughter is all into Hello Kitty, and I'm sure that that would be one of the first places I would have to go. Anyway, good trip. A lot happened while I was gone. Maybe. um... Yeah, so so if you guys remember, uh, back in episode nine, one of our closing discussions was, hey, what do you think will happen once uh, you come back, Alan? So let me ask you, how far wrong were we? You know, we weren't far wrong, and there were um, other predictions I made that even were crazier. So just fill me on what's going on. I'll, I'll, I, I'm so, going to look at some technical things here that are kind of bugging me with our podcast while Brent talks about what's going on. Well, so one of the, I would say the biggest prediction that, that we seem to be uh, off on, just slightly, is uh, we didn't think uh, Windows would begin the, the big change. Well, what change? What, tell me what big change Windows made, because I'm in Windows and I didn't notice it. I, I noticed it less in Windows than in other parts of the company. So while you were out, um, I'm still catching up. This is my my second yeah, yeah. So second while, full week back. While you were out, quite a few of the Windows orgs, uh, my connections in those Windows orgs, uh, reached out to me and said, "Holy crap, Brent, um, we're starting that change." Uh, for example, one of one of the um, 
the, the comments was saying is this is a sort of a, a rethinking of the quality orgs. Uh, we, we shifted to a quality based system, I don't know how long, four, five, six months ago. But yet, even though we rebranded this quality and, and some groups within the, uh, the Windows org, it's kind of still viewed as sort of the test org. And we're seeing, uh, I think, a stepwise sort of dismantling of that towards the combined engineering. Well, model. let me tell you what I saw. And without uh, digging myself too big of a hole here. Yeah. And maybe I should go back and talk about some other predictions I made at a community event that uh, you weren't able to make it to. But we had we talked probably, I'm sure I mentioned, we do this soapbox event every year for uh, one of the communities we're involved in, where everybody gets uh, five to seven minutes, I can't remember what time limit we use, on stage to um, rant about whatever they want to, the wilder the better, and there's some entertainment going on. It's, it's a good time. And I get, and the theme for this year was, if I were CEO, and I got a little, um, we, we gave everybody a little uh, uh, name sticker that says Satya Nadella, and they got to talk about whatever they wanted to. And I talked about revamping management at Microsoft. And I made three big points. And one was self-organizing engineering teams. Yep. And do that with a flatter org structure where you have engineering managers that uh, are in charge of 14, 15, 16 people, and people that are capable of leadership of, of organizing and orchestrating that team into something that can, you know, into self-organizing teams that can fill in gaps, et cetera, et cetera. And those two things, there's actually a memo from Satya this summer saying, hey, we're doing these two things. I thought, hey, maybe he said, maybe he saw my talk. Probably not, because this is all, this is not me inventing something. This is me paying attention to what works in the real world and going, oh, that kind of makes a lot of sense. That's something we should probably do. But here in A-B testing, we're going to give full credit to Alan. Yeah. yeah. So the third thing was, it's like, how do you find those engineering managers capable of orchestrating a larger team and doing the right thing? And one thing at Microsoft we have is moving from position to position at Microsoft is you have to go through a full interview loop, just like when you were first hired at Microsoft. And I think it's sort of silly. And there's a lot of restrictions around managers can put up, well, we're going to need this person's mission critical. We're going to need them for six months. And it's, it's, although it's certainly, it's not totally difficult or completely difficult or to move from position to position around the company, it's much more difficult than it needs to be. So my third premise in that was to make that as easy as possible. Should be an agreement between the um, the current manager and the hiring manager. Hey, they're going to move over here. Um, you know, minimum transition times. You can you can work half and half if you want to for a while, uh, just to help with the transition. But if people want to move, let them move. And if you make that easy, and there's some other details that I won't go into today. But if you make that easy, the way you identify your poor managers is they don't have anybody working for them anymore because it's so much easier for them to leave. I think, believe it or not, my my prediction is we will get there very soon because there was a hint in that that memo that said something coming up around internal transitions. I'm hoping we make that super easy. I think it's going to help solve some other problems as well. That would be so fantastic. In addition to that, we should be able to to, to make the EMs, uh, the engineering managers, um, move as easily. Like in the world that you're talking about, right? The EMs will will likely end up having to have two big skills: one, the ability to successfully execute on whatever their domain is, but in, a, in an empowering fashion. In order to do that, they're going to have to cleanly understand the value proposition of what they're doing and communicate down the value principles 
versus sort of micromanaging command and control? Yeah, came up with a friend of mine, a sort of a, a metaphoric. I spent a lot of time in France eating some fantastic food, and I was thinking we have managers, and I'm going to be blunt here. We have a lot of managers at Microsoft who are very good at turning the crank at the sausage factory, and they make awesome sausage but they turn that crank they've been turning this crank for 20 years and they make some great freaking sausage the problem is is the dishes we're making are much more complex sorry for the metaphor but it's it really needs like you know, a little of this little of this tasting as you go letting it simmer kind of you know just it, it's a much more complex what we need our leaders to do is much more complex than turning the sausage crank and uh it's a transition we need to make and honestly Honestly, there's a big chunk of our managers at Microsoft who only know how to crank the sausage mm -hmm. and don't know how to do anything else. I, I, so your metaphor got slightly weird, but there was one thing I'll, I'll attempt to do to, to add to it. What the hell? The other thing, too, is our competitors have learned, hey, wait a minute, we can automate sausage cranking. And so then their people, instead of focusing on turning the damn crank, are more focused on what kind of sausages should we make to enhance these more complicated dishes that you're referring to? Whereas we're spending all of our time going, no, we must turn the crank. Now we must take time off in order to maintain the crank, right? It, whereas our competitors, they're like, they've got the, the whole factory figured out. Yeah. Yeah. I the, know. the second thing I was going to say in terms of what engineering managers then would need to focus on is, um, I'll say customer delight, but in, in a different angle. This is employee delight. One of the things, when I introduce myself to my employees, I refer to myself as their MSP. They are my customer and I am their management service provider. And I'm fully aware that them choosing to leave the team is a big portion of them choosing to fire me. And, and I make that part of my active practice because I don't like to be fired by anything. I we need to, we need more managers think that way when when a, when somebody leaves but this works with my my comment before let let that movement happen freely when i decide to go work for the manager i fired you yes that's i i like thinking about it that way and then one thing i i mentioned before cuz i'm a huge fan of pat lencioni but uh who the first person I actually read this in writing from but direct correlation between organizational health I mean, how, how much do I love my job and, and a bunch of other things around there and product quality? Those things, those things are not completely independent. They're very tightly related. All you got to do is spend, spend a few months in a team that has poor organizational health. The quality of the product will directly correlate it. Yeah. You know, what's worse is when is this blind oblivion. I see teams where they do because they, never look outside their team for anything. They don't realize that their team's unhealthy. And often those are the same people that don't realize their product's unhealthy. They're, they're on sort of a dismal team and they're making sort of a mediocre product, but they don't know any better and they're happy. It just, it hurts oh, me to see that. It's, it's, it's even, I shouldn't say they're happy. They don't know what happiness is. It's, it's even worse than that because they do know better because they have an engine typically around self-justification and they are well skilled in going to look at those feedback sources that um, affirm their subjective bias.
right? They go on more orders of ignorance, right? Oh. They, they know what they know, <laughs> and they have a whole lot of that. I've been talking to a couple friends of mine who were part of the uh, layoffs this summer. Yes. Uh, Brent and I are somehow still employed. I know a lot of people, and I could, you know, um, good, good people who got laid off. Actually, all of the good people I know, um, I, I think most of them found jobs. Most of them, not all of them, have found jobs by now. So, so we went through two layoffs. Um, all the good people I know from the layoffs that occurred a couple months ago, mm-hmm. the, the beginning of your vacation, uh, they've landed in in great jobs. Still have a few more uh, from this last layoff. So guys out there, right? We're we're very um, approachable. If you work in a in a company that's looking for data science guys or data pipeline guys or or testing type guys, reach out to me on on Twitter because uh, I know a bunch of really good people right now that are are looking for a, a new home. Reason I brought that and, and up. And by the way, I don't think it'll take long for them to find it. No, no, no. I think there's. Uh couple things people are finding. A lot of people that got laid off have been at Microsoft a long time, which is both good and bad. It's good that they get a really nice severance package. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're paid for quite a while. What's bad is what everybody I've talked to, um, to varying degrees, is sort of blown away by the sheltered, shelteredness of being in the Microsoft walls. And a lot of people don't pay attention or haven't paid attention to what goes on outside of Microsoft. It's been very eye-opening for them as they look around at the rest of the software market and go, oh, this is kind of how things are going. There was my group was kind of hinting at going this way. It's weird this team is full-on doing this. Or they're blown away by how much software tech is in the Seattle area and how many companies have offices here and the, and the, the number of positions available. They can actually be a little bit selective, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main thing is, it's like, oh, there are other ways to make software than the way I've been doing it in my little sausage factory for the last uh, 10 years. Yeah, no, the, the people I've talked to on that front, um, a good portion of them were were very much anti-everything, not Microsoft, before they left. And now uh, some of the folks are coming back and going, wow, I did not know what I... Uh, I did not know what I could have had. It's one of those things when I'm fighting the the big fight to, to getting people towards towards agile here within the company, right? When when I can get a couple of teams executing the the rules that they should be laid out, and they go, "Holy crap!" Now I completely understand why you were saying all that when I first walked through it and heard it. I thought it was this hugely complex thing, but once I got the muscle memory. I don't ever want to go back. Yeah, and I think the the meta point to make there is, and of course, if you're listening to this podcast, I'm preaching to the wrong people, but it's really important that you actually pay attention to what's going on in your profession worldwide. You don't mm-hmm. have to like memorize the engineering practices and organizational structure of every you know major software company out there, but you should have an idea of what their approaches are, what their what their engineering values are, those are freely available. We know that if you want to think about flat org structures, let's look at how Zappos doing work. If you want to think about um, who does some really cool stuff with data science, let's look at what Netflix is doing, mm-hmm. especially and with reliability in there and their chaos suite, their simian army. So everybody needs to know, I mean, these are basic things that everyone should know, but if I were to go to, I can probably say the majority, uh, man, that's a little harsh, 
maybe the majority of engineers I know at Microsoft and ask them about those things. They go, um, I don't know. And it's, this kind of goes back to, this is not a Microsoft specific thing. I want to pick on our company, but this goes back to DeMarco. What was the darn book he wrote? He found in his research that some high percentage of the people had never even read a book on software engineering since they got a professional job. And that's that same sort of principle is true. People, I just can't imagine being happy with my job if I wasn't constantly learning and trying to expand what I know, what I've discovered throughout life. And I wouldn't even be here if that wasn't the case. I wouldn't even be employed at Microsoft. People are incented by different things. Yeah, I, I totally right. get that. But I, I think one of the reasons I'm still employed is because I'm, I'm learning and I'm adaptable and I'm flexible and I can be put in a lot of different uh, situations and be successful. And you're one of those guys who do pay attention because, um, and bring it into the organization to help enhance their forward progress. And unfortunately, that makes you a differentiator. Why do you say unfortunately? Because <sighs> a lot of the things that we're bringing through, like this is a common discussion between you and I, a lot of the things that we're that you and I are trying to bring to this company. Like I've been teaching people agile stuff for three years. And I'm just like, it's making a small chink in the armor. But, but well, maybe my, my sense is if we, if we don't figure this out as a company within the next three years, there's not going to be a following three years. <laughs> well, we've, you know, we've talked a lot at length in the past on organizational change and getting people, people, there's some sense of wanting to need to change as well. And I think I'm kind of excited with um, Satya's leadership on this. I think he's, we're definitely heading in the right direction, but there's a lot of resistance, even um, I would say even among the higher up executives, because again, they've been making sausage, they've been making some darn good sausage for decades. And it's hard, you know, from top down to make those changes. The, the other thing in terms of um, not only looking outside, like you were saying, people should be spending some time looking outside. There was a study I read a few months ago. That basically, a study, it must be true. And basically what the study concluded is that if you read one hour in any topic um, that you have an interest in, if you just read one hour a day for seven years, you would be uh, an international uh, expert on that topic. Sure, sure. And, and the stuff that we're talking about, I don't know that we need uh, a ton of international experts on all these variable topics, but it doesn't take much time to stay connected to global best practices. The first thing you got to do, though, because oh, like, you, you mentioned you careful, mentioned, man, you use the best practices. I know, there, so, there, there's people that will freak out about that. I, it, yeah, it is. So, I'm so, one of them. So, but, so you mentioned this, this polling of engineers and, and some of them would go, no, I don't know. What's even worse is if you take that subgroup, I'm willing to bet the, the, the majority of those people who don't even do it, you ask them why they don't, is because, wow, that's stupid, because a uh, uh, chaos monkey stupid, because how are they going to keep track of all those bugs? Right? It, that's just going to generate bugs and cause interrupt, and how are we going to move forward? And, and, and it's sort of um, a zero-sum game for them. Uh, when, we, when we hit... One of the challenges about a year ago when we were talking about the changes coming up with, with test, you and I both knew it's going to happen. All mm -hmm. the forces are in, in place. This has got momentum that is unstoppable. 
But yet I would still go and talk to directors and say, hey, all of this work still has to be done. So what's the difference if we have a test discipline versus a, a dev discipline? They view it as a zero sum game. They wouldn't acknowledge that test or dev doing their own testing actually increases sausage production. It gives it a lot, a lot of inefficiency. Right. It's nice to look at you. I don't, I don't, I don't want to send the metaphor anymore, so I'm going to stop. <laughs> what do you want to talk about next, Mr. So, uh, Random um, Order Guy? Are, are we still in the changes category? Let me talk about the, the third sub-bullet there. So one of the things that I'm seeing now, there's a new change of questions people are coming and asking me about. We have a lot of these new startup data science groups throughout the company. And as a, Oh, wait. Oh. Actually, let me go back. Have you yet heard about blended engineering? Is this where I used the metaphor, the little, I, I threw up in my mouth thing? Yeah, this is, this is possibly where Alan beeps himself. So one of the more innovative uh, groups in, in Windows ha has decided that combined engineering is stupid and that they're going to enhance it with this topic of blended engineering. And blended engineering, just in a nutshell, is where the test team still exists because, you know, the, the, the same level of testing still Sorry, needs the, to occur. I mean the quality team. Um, anyway, go on. I'm going to shut up. Yeah, it was, they do testing. But blended engineering means that team now reports to the dev manager. Huh. <laughs> do, you, do you need to take a sip of water? <laughs> I don't know what I need to do. I think I, I, I think I don't want to comment on that. All right. I, I need to write, and I've started this and I haven't finished it. I need to write my thoughts down on how in engineering team works and why people over complexify. Is that a word? They, sure. they, they make this they decide, okay, I recognize the inefficiencies and in passing stuff back and forth from dev to test and back and forth and back and forth. So my solution for that is to create an engineering team and I'm going to implement it in this amazingly stupid way that ensures that I can never, ever have success. So I, so there's, as you can tell, going down that path, right intent, wrong implementation. So I think, or I don't even say wrong implementation. I think it's it's okay to be wrong, but it's not okay to not think through. It's a systems problem. There's many moving pieces. Let's think about what this change is before you actually implement it. And that's where I see a lot of teams fail. Yeah, the the, the I do as well. Um, the challenge that I'm facing a lot a lot lately is is I do spend a lot of quality time on system thinking. But the challenge for me is is being able to take the conclusions from that process and then simplify it in a way that's consumable by those who don't have that strength. Yeah, I, this goes back to everything we've talked about, about organizational change and letting yeah. people know what's going on um, and give you know, let them see success quickly, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Those things all apply. Um, you need to, it's not, not a single crank. It's not a single thing you change. You have to do a lot of things differently. It requires, as we mentioned before, a different style of leadership and management to make this work. It requires just a lot of pieces to move at the same time. And if you miss that, you're just not going to be successful. You're going to think it doesn't work. 
and it really can work. One thing I wanted to mention is I mentioned this, I might have mentioned this before, but worth bringing up again is the team I'm on. We're on a, I'm on a very small team, so we're a little, a little unique, and but we have our quality team, and we do a lot of uh, analysis, data pipeline, uh, make sure we can get the data back from our flighting, et cetera. My manager is the quality manager. His peer is the dev manager. But in a lot of companies I know outside of Microsoft, because I actually pay attention, uh, my manager would just be another dev manager and his team owns infrastructure and data analysis. They would call him a development team. Um, they would be seen as a peer to the other dev organization. They could report up through a dev director at the top, but uh, in a way, in a slightly contrived way, we have a combined engineering team, an engineering team, uh, but we do have a separate on paper, we have a separate dev and quality org. I think I'm not going to lie and say we're an engineering team that works together like an engineering team, but we're closer than the old back and forth, back and forth of the past. We don't really test stuff for the developer. And uh, we look at scenarios and uh, and a lot more on customer experiences than on product functionality or feature functionality. I don't want to, yeah, that's just not what we do. So the team that I'm on now, uh, very similar to to the way you describe your team. We do everybody's title uh, is is engineer something. I report to an engineering director. His peers are all engineering directors, except for the PM or um, I am an engineering manager. My ICs are engineers. It's one of those things. Um, a rename doesn't change the perception of your role. And that's the largest challenge, right? So the, a lot of the folks in my org, so when we, when we did a recent reorg, we, we took a whole bunch of testers and we integrated them into the dev teams and then reframed them as product engineers. My team, we, we don't have a, a, a tight framing. The way I communicated is we kind of own the, the horizontals of the org. System testing, perf stuff, data pipeline analysis, very similar to how you described your role. Something is still holding the majority of the org as a view of this is the place where we can push quality downhill and they're the ones accountable. And it's, it's been a non-trivial amount I of, think of me, my peers, and my manager's time going, guys, you got to stop this behavior. Yeah, it really comes at that stage. It really comes down to a leadership issue and making sure that everyone knows what you're doing and why you're doing it. So, a couple of new problems that are that have been popping up. The the situation that I described for my team is is a common situation throughout the the company. There's a lot of people who in these quality orgs are sort of facing those same things. Uh, a specific new problem that's 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 popping up, right? So when all these data analysis teams uh, came into being, there was this belief that their role is to to feed the PM org, to help the PM do uh, usage analytics and and really uh, firm up uh, the type of features that are valuable by the cu customer and help to create differentiators. Mm -hmm. But the new problem, uh, in, in a nutshell, is you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Well, so a, not a new problem is the, is the PMs are like, great, like, where's my report? Where's my answer? Right? So the, the, there's, a, there's a, 
problem right now where the PMs don't want to give up sort of intuition mode and they don't see the benefit of a fact-driven. It's a system. And one thing, yeah. if you're going to change, we're not just changing what test or quality does, changing what development does. And it's not just change for change's sake. It's change because we think we can get these efficiencies. So the, the system or the model goes that way in direction. But every every engineering discipline involved, the role changes. And we're starting to see the PM role, the program manager role at Microsoft, begin to change. I think it's going to begin to change very rapidly, almost what you call an overhaul of the role as part of the system. Yep. Ideally, all these things would move at once, but any of you familiar with systems thinking know it's it's really difficult to get all the pieces to move at once in the right direction. You can get all the pieces to move at once in the right direction if you do it one step at a time. What I'm seeing happening is we're changing one piece all the way to where we want it to yeah. go. And, and the other pieces aren't changing. So it's like, and to me, you know, I'm bringing back the sausage metaphor. It's like, you decided the sausages aren't good enough. We're going to start making calzones. And so we got one team manufacturing calzone cranks and every, and everyone else is still over there. Um, trying to figure out how I stuff sausage meat into a calzone crank. Yeah. And, and what I've seen, and to be clear, I, I'm bullish on Microsoft because I see from Satya's leadership, he knows exactly what kind of, it seems to me, he seems to know what kind of food factory mm -hmm. he wants to build. And it's a challenge for him as well. He has to get you know, his leaders, people that have been at Microsoft a long time, making sausage. And he's saying, look, you know, maybe sausage isn't the right thing to make. Let's make a bouillabaisse. Like, I don't know, man. Can I make that with a crank? Because I know how to use the crank. This requires pots and fish and shelling and things and yeah. skills I'm not I'm not I comfortable. I don't know with. how to make broth with a crank. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do I put in? Do I put in pork, beef? Come on. Yeah. That, so so my my limited exposure to Satya, my my perception of what he's doing is he's he's actively paying attention to those teams that have that that figured out a process that helps rapidly convert the culture. Yeah, and one thing, I'll, I'll go ahead and I won't be in trouble. No one listens to this podcast, but I'll... Um, we have three listeners. No, we have, we have like nine. I, I think only a couple work at Microsoft, and, and they won't report me anything, but he sent a memo around, you know, planning org structures yep. and, and a bunch of other things. I thought, this is fantastic. This is going to help the larger organization I'm in. And what our one of our engineering leaders sent mail to the org saying, I read, sure y'all read Sachi's mail. He says to do this, we're good. Don't need to do that yet. He said to do this, we're good. Don't need to do that yet. And it makes sense. We're in the middle of a, there's been a lot of change already. It's a very large org, a lot going on. It'd be difficult to make it. On one hand, I understand that, you know, I'm not, I understand the logic. It's like, we've had enough change going on. This is gonna be very disruptive for the size of an org very difficult to make some of these changes now. So I think those will happen later, but you know, my, you know, my druthers would be, let's do it now. Let's make it happen because I know about the efficiencies it would bring. I've seen the inefficiencies that are caused by a very squished, heavy, heavy middle management layered organizational structure. And I would love to see that uh, go away. My problem with, with anytime I see a messaging like that around later, the opportunity later in, in, in one aspect is beneficial, right? Because you have an opportunity 
to then stepwise progress towards making later happen and you can hit the ground running. But no one ever executes it that way. It, it basically ends up, uh, my experience, it ends up being a deferral tactic. And it yeah. gets deferred, 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 deferred until it can't be anymore. And then it's the ripping of the Band-Aid in a way where the Band-Aid yanks the person's arm off. There's so much dysfunction that you, you could have, dysfunction and pain that you could have mitigated by leveraging later. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I do think, so I do think anybody who thinks engineering flattening is done is wrong. Oh, definitely. Anybody definitely. who thinks um, PM is safe is wrong. Matter of fact, I think PM's up next. And I think we're going to see, my, my prediction here is we're going to see um, uh, the PM ratios uh, impact PM by uh, 50%. 50% of the PMs will, will be looking for a new way to add value. And I do think the, the high order bit for those PMs are going to be the ones who have successfully and proactively figured out how to use the new data-driven engineering culture to differentiate themselves from their peers in a way that adds business value. Hey, let's. Yeah. Um, we are getting low on time. This is one of the things I wanted to talk about yep. today. Did you uh, see on the news the new the iOS eight the iOS update? I have not. So um, what happened was iOS did an update, and for a, uh, some segment of the brand new um, iPhone six phones, caused cellular to stop working. Oops. Being being a Microsoft guy. Fantastic. They should ship more of those. So it's interesting. Every time what, – what, what I find interesting is that uh, almost every time there's some major bug, you know, some I see some tester pop on Twitter or 50 of them go, oh, maybe, you know, a testing problem at Apple. You know, when healthcare.gov came out and actually these are two oh, yeah. with, with their issues, like, oh, maybe they should have tested more. No, they needed – that was a software engineering problem. So – Let's talk just for a second about so if you shipped a bug that Subjective for, for, for bias. A, a, enough users that it would hurt, you know I have my own answer. I'll see if it matches with yours. But what would you if you were a uh, engineering director at Apple and you had this new update rolling out? What's how? What do you think you may have done differently to avoided to have avoided a bug like this? So did it happen? Across the board? No, it did not right? happen across the board. And that's that's very important to mention because you know, I see the comments from the the people that don't read or something saying, well, they obviously didn't test this because it, it you know it wrecked phones, but didn't it was some, but many. And did it wreck phones? No, no. People could go into uh, iTunes and do a restore. Um, they'd lose some stuff, um, but they they get back to their factory settings and then not update. Apple ended up pulling the update, and I, I think they've have. I haven't paid attention since the issue came out, but anyway, I think it's all okay now. But you had an update that that broke cellular on a significant number of your brand new phones. All right, so here's a couple of things. So Apple, they have a product people love and um, is all over the world. Uh, in terms of risk, there, there's a non-trivial chance that if you do make a mistake. 
because the, the product in general is loved, um, that the majority of the audience will um, still bounce back. Like the, the, there isn't, with Apple, because it's a loved product, although uh, I haven't paid much attention to Android and Samsung, those are climbing uh, dramatically. Um, in addition to that, like the one thing I'm thinking through, my, my normal practice would be, you know what, um, do some due diligence proactively. You should have some bed of, of, of machines. This isn't like creating the end-all, be-all system test lab that you and I are used to from no, the old I, days. No, in fact, I don't want to do that. In fact, I'm going to interrupt. I think this is a perfect example of where flighting circles are being able to deploy. I mean, I have a, do have to That was the out. next thing. I do think. I, I think that's the think... key to this because you have to. You want to deploy this new update. You're not going to deploy. It. Can't take any update when you have enough diverse ecosystem of carriers, etc., and deploy it to the world at the same time. What I'm saying is that is before it goes out, there is some small element of of preventative testing that Absolutely. you should do. And they obviously did that. They if most they, obviously did. If they, they didn't, they did their due diligence. Shame on them, right? It, because there's the complexity around the options and, and different providers, and I'm certain that they get hardware from different places. I know they have tight controls on, on the yeah. hardware, but flight control is the answer here. It absolutely is. Look, I, we, we deployed this to 1% of our users, and, and, and you look across the board, because this is not just for iPhone 6s, this is for some previous versions as well, the, the update. Hey, there is a percentage of our, of our, I, our iPhone 6 clients that we've sent the update to, and they've never sent a phone home after that. You the know, only challenge with the strategy, the only challenge, this is why I brought up sort of Apple's domination in, the, in sort of the customer love world, for lack of a better word, is even with the flight control, even our exposure control with, with flighting of these updates, if it hits a couple people, if you did it right, will be affected, right? And, and, and it's going to be a challenge to figure out uh, how to turn the crank and turn it back. Yeah. But the question is, if you don't do it accurately and when people get impacted, is it a, is it a case that even two people in Apple hitting this issue will be a PR nightmare for them? I want to be really clear, you know, bringing this up is it's because I, I get annoyed when I see people do this elsewhere on the internet is I don't work there. I don't, you know, it's completely possible that they did all this and they just couldn't recognize it in the analysis of the data. So this is, it's playing armchair software, software engineer is, is a lot, is very easy. I thought it was a worthy topic of discussion. The, he's so the much... thing that I would love if, if I were engineering director, like the thing that I would try to do is how can I do seamless continuous updates with, with an exposure control? Cause a lot yeah. of these problems, happen because they changed so much that you really don't know cause yeah. and effect it, along it, with it the... ends up being another systems issue because yeah. uh yeah you know, there's carriers that say no we don't we only want updates you know at this this frequency and and the way carriers implement their radio stack you know there can be a lot of different things can go on so it's anyway it's interesting to talk about yeah. but i i'm always blown away every time there's a public uh you know bug of any company you know, it always comes out. What what bothers me is that a lot of people think, well, it was a testing issue. And maybe this one was, but quality issues aren't 
or frequently or most often not an issue of testing. The people we hang out with or the community we're associated with, right? A lot of those guys are going to go. It's a testing issue as an, primarily because we still in a lower, live in a world where they're trying to, to create arguments for why the, the old ways are the better ways. Right. I guess and, it's, so. and it's time to move on actually. And, and if that's true, like Apple had a major update issue, um, what, three years ago where they were bricking phones. Like why didn't they, um, change their process? I mean, they probably have, but it'd be interesting. I wonder if they have an exposure control. Yeah. Again, program. our armchair software engineering is easy doing it from our seats here. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Hey, um, I'm going to, I'll get back to the mailbag next week because we're about out of time and someone's going to come in here and give us a dirty look. Yes. So it's good to be back. I'll say that. And uh, thanks for listening this far. And um, I'm Alan. I'm Brent. And we'll talk to you soon. Yep. See ya.